you know, at the end of the day, football is football. All Patriots, all, all the time. Ooh, that, that's spicy. All Patriots, all, all the time. Welcome to, 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 to First and Foxborough. All right, well, it took like three hours past the deadline to get it all in, but we are down to the initial 53-man roster for the New England Patriots. And before it all changes once again, and you know we get practice squad people up in there, we're going to talk about it on First and Foxborough. Before we get to do that, make sure you're downloading, subscribing, listening on the Odyssey app, and wherever you get your podcasts, follow me at Thompson 5 and follow the show account at First in Foxborough, F-O-X-B-O-R-O. And I am here to talk about the initial impressions about the initial 53-man roster with W-E-E-I's very own Andy Hot. What's going on, my man? What's up, Kyrie? What, uh, what's your initial reaction other than the weight, which is typical Bill Belichick, which I love? You know, like there's, there's normal time and then there's Belichick time. Like he yes. <laughs> goes and does what he wants to do. But what, like Yes. Um, but if I asked you, like, I'm gonna, I know you're the host, but I'm just gonna flip the script sure, for one second, like, it. just like instant reaction, initial re- roster, what, what jumps off the page? Well, I was interested in the not keeping some of the receiver depth, especially knowing that Tyquan Thornton, with yep. receiver and running back, actually knowing that Tyquan Thornton is going to go on at least short term IR here, and knowing that. Ty Mon- well, I guess we don't really know that much about Ty Montgomery's injury. Right. Right? I mean, for all we know, he could be just good to go for week one. But the way mm-hmm. that he seemed, I'm not I'm not banking on that. I on, I would feel like it's probably going to be short term IR for him. So then you're going with four running backs and five receivers. And, and the well, one of those five is going to go on IR. So, yeah, I'm just very curious about what what does that mean? Are we going to be seeing uh you know practice squad elevations fill those that void? I feel like that's probably um that, that's one thing that I think could happen. Maybe they're going to scour the waiver wire and see if they can make a couple of improvements here. I'm also intrigued by Chase and Hines making the 53 because I felt like that that was a total I mean he he got in late for one thing. So it kind of felt like a Foxborough flu candidate, you know, because I mean, Stuber got it already. So it was kind yep. of like, well, why not? You know, maybe he's not ready to go. Just go ahead and give him that. Uh, he's working through his injury or whatever. But no, he makes the roster and guys like Arlington, Hambright and Will Sherman, who looked like they were making late pushes, get left off. I was very, very intrigued by that. Yeah. Chase and Hines would be the most surprising of the 53 names. Like I just, he wasn't really on my radar and you said it, the NFI thing, late arrival. And, you know, maybe I wasn't watching closely enough or however he, um, joined the mix. He is the most surprising member of the 53 man roster to start for me. And then the, the skill position players is it looks on the surface, like you're a little undermanned. Like you said it there. Depending on the Ty Montgomery injury, and I guess you could spin it positive and say they're pretty comfortable with how healthy he's going to be in almost two weeks against the Dolphins. So, like, even though he got carted off, it was just a scare, whatever, that he's going to be out there. Because if he's not, the way I look at it is you have two tight ends, two That's running backs. That's the other backs. thing I was just thinking right. of. You're going with two tight ends again. 
But if you if you mix two tight ends and two running backs and four receivers, that is undermanned at the skill positions, in my opinion. And and I know I'm being disrespectful a little bit to Pierre Strong, but I apologize. I don't think Pierre Strong's ready to be on the field in a regular season like this matters NFL game. And so getting back to the Montgomery thing, if he's not ready to go, either if he ends up on short-term IR or if he's just week to week and he's not going to be ready for week one, we'll see for week two, week three, you're you're thin there because Damian Harris has gotten nicked up, dinged up a couple times in his career. Ramondre Stevenson, I love, but there's no guarantee he's ready to be a three down back or a third down back or any of that. Like that's an optimistic idea. And I like it. I think he's Le'Veon Bell. I think he should be on the field for three downs, but I don't know. It just feels like you're a little bit thin there. So I a hundred percent agree with you on the, the skill position slash depth of the weapons um, issue to open the year. But as you said, I'm glad you termed it the initial 53 man roster because we get all hot and it feels like what we do in training camp where right you kind of like one day something happens and you're like oh my god this guy's going to do this and you're like okay i need to take a breath it was one practice it's one day you know let's see if he can do this for 2 days for 3 days for a week here get into a pre- and the roster is the same thing like let's see if they claim anybody let's see who they bring back let's see you know who's healthier than we think there's a lot of maneuverings that could take place before we actually get to the Dolphins on September 11th. Yeah, a little bit of churn and burn. And, you know, speaking of that, right, on the other side of of the ball slash special teams, I I was maybe not extremely surprised about Justin Bethel, um, you know, not coming back. I figured it was going to be either him or Cody Davis. And I honestly wasn't sure that both of them might not get chopped, if we're going to be completely honest. Yep. But the other... What, what I found interesting, though, was that afterwards, and maybe this is just, you know what, like, you know, immediate reactions, but people kind of looking at Justin Bethel's Instagram story and him just kind of being like, it was an amazing three years. Like, thanks for letting me run around with y'all. And it's like, they just like, no, this sounds like a like a real goodbye for Justin Bethel. And I'm just kind of like, huh, I, I'm, I'm curious about that. Henry Anderson was another one, which honestly, though. I looked at Henry Anderson and and I was hammering this in the off season. The fact that I wasn't sure that he was going to make this team in the first place, um, especially for him not doing a whole lot. Even when he was here last year, when he was on the field, I wasn't that impressed. It was curious, right? Looking at the scrimmages and, oh, he's kind of dressing with the starters a little bit. But I feel like when when it got into in-game action, I think that he didn't really stand out a lot. They were trying to use him inside and outside. And I think he got surpassed by Carl Davis Jr., who, I mean, some people thought he was going to be a cut candidate. I just kind of saw what he was doing. Every time they put him on the field, he was doing something good. So I I could see that one happening. And I think that when you're talking about depth on the edge, I thought Dietrich Wise Jr. was clearly a better option in terms of of interior linemen bumping out to the edge. So Henry Anderson kind of had the red dot for me. I find it interesting, though, that they put him on IR. I mean, it's basically the same. It it could be a similar track to Malcolm Butler, right? You put him, you you released him and then you say, okay, fine, we'll release him, uh, you know, or put put him on season ending IR and then maybe he gets the injury settlement deal. Yep. I, I think it's possible to see that with Christian Wilkerson, too. Because, I mean, for a concussion to to be that, it, to me, it's that says he was going to get cut and they don't want to cut him yet. 
Yeah, I definitely think you could see the injury settlement thing with Henry Anderson, and I think the comparison you made is very similar. A veteran player like Malcolm Butler, who I think they respect. I think Bill Belichick respects Henry Anderson and just wasn't really doing anything. Just like Malcolm Butler, it's like, I want to think you're doing something, but I don't really see you doing something. And other guys are more capable or have more upside you know a Sam Roberts a Demarcus Mitchell you have these other guys that you know it's almost like the old Randy Moss when he used to tell corners if we're even I'm leaving well if a young player is even with Henry Anderson two weeks into camp three weeks in well he's leaving you because I have potential like right you know what I mean like yeah so I mean Demarcus Lawrence I mean look at that you know outside linebacker special teamer undrafted free agent right so there you go if those guys are in the mix, then a guy like Henry Anderson is easy. And I will say, I like the defensive line group, and I think it's easier to sort of rationalize Henry Anderson. I don't really need him. Like, I have Lawrence Guy. I have Christian Barmore. I have Dietrich Wise, who has inside-out flexibility. So I have veteran guys I can count on, and then I can fall back on some of these younger guys that are showing something. The one that intrigued me was the Terrence Mitchell experience. And it started on day one. He was basically a starter next to Jalen Mills, opposite side. Okay, Terrence Mitchell, veteran journeyman. He started in the league. They bring him in this offseason. Just add, you know, like an adult in the room. And then, like, I was never wowed by him. Never really all that impressed by him. But I just kept saying, they can't go as young as they'll be going if they just let all these veterans go. And damn it, they went as young as they'll be going because this could go horribly wrong, in my opinion. (laughs) Like, I like the the Marcus Jones feistiness. I like the Jack Jones aggressiveness and the playmaking and the hitting. Sean Wade, to me, is like, he's like a theory at this point more than he is an actual yeah, player. I could have taken him or left him, honestly. I I agree, and... So for them to keep Jones, Jones, Wade, Miles Bryant is a tweener guy that they're putting in the slot. He was a safety more for them last year. He's more of a corner this year. And then you have Jonathan Jones moving from the slot to the outside. I don't know. I just see a cornerback position that it could go horribly wrong because nobody at that position has real other than Jalen Mills, and even Jalen Mills is a guy that most people don't think is really like a starting caliber number one NFL right. corner. He's more of a a hybrid defensive back. He can do different things. Exactly. So I, I think the the cornerback Mike Pellegrino. I think if this works out, I think Mike Pellegrino deserves a massive raise because he has got a lot of question marks, theories, potential guys to work with. And you think about it like a year ago, he was thinking, oh, I got Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson. And now he's got, I don't know what he's got. Yeah. And and I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Going younger and athletic, that was going to be the next thing I brought up going younger and, and, you know, and more athletic at at cornerback. And it, it makes you think, is this a response to 
what you are facing in the division where it's like, okay. The, and, and I thought about the Terrence Mitchell thing too, because it was like him and Malcolm Butler were, I can't remember if they were on the same day, but they were, those were the two signings at the beginning where it's like, okay, veterans to bolster the cornerback yep. room. And they are the first two guys up in, in like, you know, OTAs and mini camp next to Jalen Mills competing for a starting job. Now they're no longer here. And, and, and in one sense, it's like, okay, this is, almost what you want to see in a way where it's like, okay, your young guys surpassed the, the veterans, or at least they yep. were valuable enough to where you thought you would rather play them than keep the vets. That should make you feel good. At the same time, it's like you, you bring up Marcus Jones. I, I love the the ability he has. He's a little on the short side, but I feel like he, he's got the the athletic ability to, to do it. But the balance, like his balance seems off. He's like falling all over himself, trying to keep with receivers out of their breaks. And it's like, I don't know if you can really afford to play him right now. Sean Wade is hit or miss. I mean, there, there are times where like he's making a play on the ball. He'll drop a pick and then he'll have a ball whizzing past his ear for a touchdown because he's not finding the football and it drives me insane. And then Jack Jones, who's trying to jump everything. I love, I, I love, love the it. instincts, but oh dear God, <laughs> going to go if, bad. If, if one of the outside corners get, gets hurt and you get, a, you get Jack Jones in the game, oh. I'm running double move first play. Yep. First play. Don't even, don't even think about doing nothing else. You yep. know? So, so it's like, it, you're right. It could go just, it could be really interesting or it could just go nuclearly wrong. And, and I think also, I would love your opinion on this. The, the way that the linebacker group has shaken out with Jelani Tavai getting all this love. I don't understand it. So over the years, it becomes clear that Bill Belichick falls in love with guys like for whatever reason, he just likes them and he sees more in them it's almost like a romantic relationship and you're blinded by the moment and the relationship and all your friends are like, she kind of sucks. She's kind of a bitch. Like she's not that hot, but you're in it and you can't see it. And you, so your friends like don't like poker, you're pot committed. Yeah. Get out. And, and I feel like Bill just likes Tavai more than like the Tavai family. Like his high school coach is probably like, wow, Bill really likes this guy. Like I just, and, and maybe it'll work. Sometimes it's worked over the years. Sometimes it hasn't. And I will say, I don't know, because I don't see, I don't see it. I, I personally just don't see it. Like I no, see. He, he ain't it to me. Like Jennings and Uche have made nice strides as young developmental players. And I think Wilson and McMillan have shown up some as veteran players that you're hoping to get more from and all of that. And then I get to Tavai and I'm just like. I don't know. I don't Bill, you're in Bill. I trust Bill. You've, you, you know, the old, he's forgotten more football than we'll ever know that sort of reality. But I just, I don't really get it. I mean, there, I was talking with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth about this actually at the, the last preseason game at Gillette. Like we're, we're there at like what 12 in, in, in the morning. Right. And just being like, yeah, I do not understand for the life of me what this what this deal is because Tavai, he's getting starting snaps, and we're talking about Mac Wilson. I mean, like, yeah, he's kind of flying around like a bat out of hell, right? And like, maybe it's not always right, but it's fast. It's yep. it, it's it's fast and athletic, and it's just like, okay, that guy's running around and hitting people. I like this. And Raekwon McMillan, I mean, he's he's been fine. 
He, it's not spectacular, but it's been fine. You know, he, he makes a good play here and there. We're like, that's that's a veteran linebacker who yep. gets stuff done, you know, in 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 your defense. And then you look at Jelani Tavai just getting blocked and staying blocked and doing absolutely nothing in coverage. And I can't help but think to myself, good teams don't roster this guy, right? right? And and the idea that are you really just doing this because Matt Patricia drafted this brother in the second round a couple of years ago? And he's like, Oh, I really love Jelani. I love the idea of him. And like, yeah, he's the kind of that big, you know, whatever linebacker that we used to have. He sucks. Right. Okay, I have not seen him do one thing on defense that makes me think he should be here. Yeah. I, I don't see the upside, like getting back to the corners, for example, like, or even the Mac Wilson. I think in general, there's going to be times when this defense as a whole is going to fly around the field, make some plays, be fun to watch, and you're going to be like, oh, nice, this is coming together. And then two quarters later or a week later, you're going to be like, wow, these guys are struggling. They look young. They look lost, whatever. Whereas Tavai, I don't even see where he fits into that mix. Like, I would be more sold on Kim McGrone, you know, one of the cuts who everybody fell in love with. Like, I saw nothing this summer. No. But at least you could try to sell me on, well, he missed all of last year, and he's a speedy guy. Like, he's going to be in the mold of the way we want to evolve as a defense. And I, you can't even sell me on Tavai. Like, I just no. – that's just a pure – and you mentioned it, and I know a lot of people sort of think that's part of it. And certainly the relationship with Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia is a, is a unique one, is a weird one, is a, is a closer-than-it-should-be kind of relationship. Um, and maybe that ha maybe he's a Matt guy and, and because he's a Matt guy, he's automatically a bill guy. Um, but I don't, I can't envision him having a significant positive role for this football team this year at all. No, no. You know what? It's funny, right? Cause we were talking about the bill relationship and the, the bill Patricia relationship. I'm taking a little bit of a left turn here. Okay. okay. Let's go. Jumping, jumping off roster stuff for a second. You saw this and I wrote about it earlier. The, Michael Lombardi talking about the Patriots offense and that Bill Belichick is the only one who can run it. The only one that you should trust to do it. It's nothing against Patricia or Joe judge. He says, but basically that look, you know, Bill understands football completely. And like, this is, this has got to be his game. And there's a part of me that like, when, when I see that, like I, I keep on feeling this frustration well up where it's like, I don't know how many times we need to tell people that Matt Patricia, he's the guy with the headset. He's been the guy communicating the plays all along. Like it's, it's yeah. He sprinkled in some Joe judge and some, and some bill Belichick called his own number a couple of times, but by and large, that's been the dude. Okay. So th this fascination with, Oh yeah. Is it an open competition? It's driving me insane because they feel like they've been showing you for months now what this situation is going to be with that said though, I feel like Belichick has told us what this process is going to look like in a way, which is that, yeah, Matt Patricia is going to be the guy talking in Mac Jones's here. And I, I mean, I would think, and it's probably the best thing that he is the one voice that he hears talking into his headset, meaning Mac Jones, but that everybody else is going to be talking in Patricia's ear and is going to be giving him input and helping call the plays. And Mac Jones is going to be doing his thing once they finally allow him to do that during the regular season. But the reason I bring all this up is, do you think that ultimately the way this offense and the way this team is going to go on that side of the football is essentially going to be Bill Belichick being the voice coming through the right-hand man's ear, you know, so to speak, 
that yeah, it's Patricia's it's Patricia's voice going in Jones's head, but it's Belichick's words. Yes, yeah, I do. Um, and, and to steal the phrase, the the question that's been asked of Mac a lot, you know, like do you or have you taken ownership of this offense? Yeah, I think Bill's going to take ownership of the offense this year. I I really do, which is why I would actually feel better if they just kind of eliminated the 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 layers and the charade and just put Joe Judge as assistant head coach special teams, make Matt Patricia assistant head coach defense, and say, Bill Belichick's running the offense with Nick Cayley and Troy Brown and Vinny Sinceri and the guys that are there. Like, I, I, I note that you, add, that you put Nick Cayley first. I, I know that's your boy. I like him. I like him, and I don't understand why he's not given a shot. And I think I would like the long-term future of him under Bill's direction, maybe becoming the next guy down the road. But like, even with Bill taking this over, I don't love the whole process. And I do. I think it's going to be Bill's offense. I'm with Lombardi, and that's why I retweeted Lombardi and said, yeah, because he set it up that way. He doesn't have any offensive coaches in sort of the, the hierarchy, in the, in the line, in the organizational flow chart. So he created this world where only he can control the offense. And then obviously the guy that I think pays the price to some degree is Mac Jones. Like I, I think this is so unfair to Mac Jones. Like, and I, it's, it's, it's wasting a year of his career, of his development, of his, and I know I'm probably being a little overly dramatic, like, oh, he's a professional and he's a smart guy and it'll be fine. And maybe it'll be good for him. He'll learn and see different things. But I just look back and say, he looked pretty good a year ago. Why couldn't we have sort of continued down that path? And I know Josh McDaniels left, but why did we have to make this? You just said you took the podcast in a left turn. I feel like they took the offense in a left turn. And it's yes. like, why? Hard left. There was going to be change, but did it have to be this type of change? This really weird, questionable yeah. change? And But again... It's Bill, and Bill has stunned me before, and Bill has done things that most people didn't think he could do. That's where in Bill We Trust comes from. I'm just having more trouble trusting Bill with the way this offense is sort of structured this year. Yeah, and you know what? I think that for myself, I I feel like we as media members, a lot of the time, are trying to, and I've said this to you before, that we are trying to impose a sense of normalcy and convention on this situation and on Bill Belichick. And he literally does not care and has never cared about what? normalcy and convention. He does whatever he wants to do because this he this is best for his football team. That is what he believes, and that is what he's going to do. Everybody else be damned. And yeah, go go ahead. I see you well, trying to jump in. I just want to say, like, and that's the one thing I will say. I firmly believe that he believes this is best for his football team. Like, I don't think he's undercutting something or just like, I think when he goes to bed at night, he's like, this is the best. Like, I know a lot of people are questioning me, but this is the best. Like, he believes it. The problem is that doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it's going to work. Like, the end re result, I know that we're not allowed to talk about results around the nope, Patriots. No nope, process the only. Just the process, but the I mean, what you're talking about it's it's still preseason. This ain't it regular is still preseason, but um, the results are coming. The results are coming fast and furious in a couple Report weeks. Four cards about to be due. Yeah, 
it, it absolutely is. And and I've I've made that joke. Like I think like school kids all across New England should be stealing some of the lingo from Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. Like <laughs> they get an F back, um, teacher. You're you're focusing on the result. Let's look at the process. I I put in the work during the week. I don't think I deserve an F. Don't focus on the result here as much. And you're putting this on air. Don't let your kids hear this. Uh yeah. They're they're in bed, so they won't listen. Um, it's like they ain't gonna listen to my show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. They they don't really listen to football stuff. They probably hear it enough from me. Um, but I do. I just want to make that clear. I firmly believe Bill thinks he's doing what's in the best interest of his football team. The problem is that doesn't mean it truly is in the best interest of his football team. Like the end result could go horribly wrong. Yeah. And you know what? I find it interesting just to kind of close up th- this topic and then and then close out with a little bit more roster talk. I mean, yep. when I when I think about what I'm seeing from Mac Jones right now versus what I watched last Saturday from like Justin Fields, for example, and and how bad that experiment looked in Chicago last year and how bad that team is probably still going to be this year. But suddenly that looks like a well-coached just I, I don't know. It just, just all of a sudden it makes sense. Like, okay, we're going to build a, an offense just around your strengths and we're not going to try and do anything like completely off the wall. Just fix your mechanics. We'll give you some rollouts and, and let you throw the ball down the field and do things you're good at. And then you, you see this glimpse of like, oh, wow. Okay. That's what that could look like with him at quarterback. Wow, that's interesting. And then with Mac Jones in his second year, he came in with the best situation. And I, I said this before the season, and everybody was like, oh, well, wait on that. You know, and I'm like, no, I think I feel pretty good about saying Mac Jones came into the best rookie situation last year. And ultimately, I don't think it was close. I mean, you could you could argue Trey Lance, but Trey Lance barely played. So right. he's not really counting towards this. But now, I mean, yeah, he, he doesn't necessarily have maybe the worst situation of any of the second year quarterbacks that, that are we're talked about that played significantly, but it's not the best anymore. I mean, nope. it, it's it's just so odd. And and you you take the strengths that he had and, and the things that he did last year, as you mentioned, change was inevitable. Something had to change. Offense, play callers, like a, something was going to be different. But yeah, I feel like I watch what Mac Jones is doing right now, and I see the fact that he's still a good player and that there are things that he has improved on, even in the midst of all of this. At the same time, he just doesn't look comfortable. And I, I just wonder what in the hell happened when we were sitting in training camp last year watching this dude being like, well, that don't look like a rookie. Right. Now he looks like a rookie. Well, I think I, I think we both know what happened. They took a defensive coordinator and made him the offensive coordinator. They took a special teams coach, and made him the quarterbacks coach. Like I keep it's funny. You bring up the Bears and I know you're a Bears guy and you follow the Bears closely. To me, the the comp is Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence yeah. because he was in the worst situation. His coach was an absolute circus like it was a, just the buckle around him. And now this year. Whatever you think of Doug Peterson, he's a former NFL quarterback. That brother can coach quarterbacks. Right. And and so you bring that stability, and now he has what should be an opportunity to grow as a young quarterback and learn and succeed and be put in position to succeed. And I just look at those two, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, the situations, and say, are they flipping? Like, did one become a circus and one left the circus? And that's... It's weird because you don't think you're going to say those things about the Patriots and the Patriots organization and Bill Belichick, but 
right now, early returns, early returns are not good. No, no. And I don't think there's really any way to spin it. You're basically, this is a total, if you're one of those people, I mean, I'm not really, I don't know that I really classify myself in that because I'm, I'm relatively new to this area. I mean, obviously I've been following football for years and years and years. And I know about, you know, the, the unimpeachable bril- you know, brilliance of Bill Belichick and six Super Bowl rings and all of that greatest coach in the history of terrestrial sports. At the same time, I, I just feel like you got there's you can't do anything but question this. I mean, you, yep. you have no other option as a rational person but to question whether or not this is the right move. And you know what? I've said it that, you know, maybe by the end of this, it's, it's not going to be a big deal. That's basically all you're hoping for right now. I don't know that it's going to be better. I think at best it's a push. Now, having having said all that, let's close it out with this. If you are. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, and you are scouring the wire tomorrow, what positions, what players might you be most interested in adding? So the positions, um, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out something um, pre-cuts, I think, early afternoon about talking to teams, and he's the the NFL Network's analyst. Yeah, I know what you're talking analyst. about. And yeah. he said, everybody I talk to says they're looking for tackle and corner depth. Yes, yes, I think the Patriots should be looking for tackle and corner depth because the cornerback position, we just talked about it. I don't know who the veteran in the room is. If And I'm not being greedy here. I'm not looking to add J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, but just, I guess, a better version of Terrence Mitchell, a guy they'd like, a veteran, journeyman, guy who has started, maybe a guy who has played some man and played some zone and, yeah. and just has lived – the NFL life, just the type of guy where if it's hitting the fan and they're looking like young, inexperienced corners, you can throw that guy out there and just for at least a series go whew, and take a breath and try to reset because, you know, I like the defensive line. I think the defensive yeah. line is good. I think the safety position is good. So if if the cornerback position is becoming an Achilles heel, Find somebody who just makes it not that. Not great, just not terrible. And the same thing on the offensive line. Like, I'm starting to think, for whatever we believe about the coaching staff and the weapons and the depth and all this, that if the offensive line doesn't get its you-know-what together, we won't get to the other things being issues because you won't That's going to be the issue. (laughs) Yes. Like, that'll be... And, you know, I've been joking that I, I termed it a house of cards, the offensive line in the spring. I may have been dis- like overly optimistic because it's not even a house of cards yet. I don't feel like it's even built into a house of cards where you feel good about Brown and win and you're just worried if they're going to get hurt. And then the depth there, Yadni Kajus, Justin Huron, I think, has had really a pretty abysmal summer. Like, Yeah, no, I, I, I did poor. not think he was. I thought he was going to be a prime candidate to get slashed. So... Uh, yeah, if you could find a veteran tackle, a, just give me a journeyman tackle and a journeyman cornerback, and I'd like to claim both of them and just add them to the mix right now. Yeah, and I feel like that's probably going to be more likely if in, in terms of waiver claims being a possibility because the Patriots are all the way down at like 21st in, in waiver claim order, which means, yeah, like the likes of like a Tyler Johnson, you ain't getting him. No. That's not going to be a thing. Someone else is going to snap him up. Yeah. So I, yeah, I I don't, 
And and I don't. I mean, I'd add tight end to the mix. Maybe you want a veteran tight end, a yeah. third tight end. Because how you feel about some OJ Howard? Do you think he could sneak through? And do you think Belichick would even want him? Former Alabama guy. Uh probably not. I don't know that that's the direction they'd want to go. Um, I'm thinking more of like a blocking tight end, a, a veteran yeah. that kind of that they've had over the years. Um, Matt, but not you mean? Uh, yeah, kind of. Maybe a little upgrade over Matt Sokol. And who knows? Maybe he's going to be around and maybe because I do think um, and this is a bigger topic to bring up late in a podcast than, you know, maybe for another day. But like I've always thought this team, Bill and Steve Belichick and whoever's game planning week to week, I think they're going to be even more dependent on game plans and personnel groupings week to week. And I think that will include not just the 53, but making the right roster moves at the right time of year and bring calling guys up and moving guys around. This is, this is not like a plug and play team where, you know, who, yep, I got 11 starters on this side. I got 11 starters on this side. And then I got three key backups and blah, blah. Like, I think you're going to earn your money with positional groupings week to week. And, um, I, I don't know, like we just finished recording the six rings podcast and Chris Scheim, who can be overly negative, is very negative. I'll, I'll lead with that for anybody who hasn't heard him. Mac Jones, hater, and the whole thing. Called the roster underwhelming. And, and, and I, I don't know if I disagree. Like, there's some areas I like. But when I get into my questions about the line or the cornerbacks, the young corners, and even the young corners, I like the idea. I think you alluded to this earlier. Like, I like the idea of developing young corners. But when you develop young corners, there's growing pains. Yeah. And so so if you're in if if you're comfortable with that, like you realize this is going to be a growing pain season, okay, then go with the young corners and maybe next year those guys are no longer young corners and you're like, "Wow, these two Joneses can play." And we're now mixing them into this with our safety depth and all that. Um but there there's a lot of there's just a lot of questions right now. Like that's, I guess that's how I would sum it up. A lot yep, that, of questions. That's the best way to put it. And I, I would say this, I think that this team is even now generally full of just NFL caliber players, yep. right? They're, they're, they are far from the best roster you could possibly have. And they're far from the worst. I mean, I, I think that the floor for this team is still somewhere around like seven wins. Like I, I think just because, because in theory, I mean, they'll be, they'll be coached well. Right. So, and, and sometimes that just matters Theory. in the regular season. Okay. Being coached and, and executing, like that's a big reason why they ended up where they were last year. Cause it's not like they had a world beating roster last year either. So I, I think that again, this is, this is meant to be a higher floor team. And if they can coach, you know, a couple more wins out of them, like, yeah, maybe they will be, you know, a 500 team. I, I kind of got the cap at 10 wins. I don't know that they're going to get above that. Yeah. Um, and, and and again, I just I it's interesting to hear it referred to as underwhelming because I feel like, eh, you know, it's more or less what I expected. And it's like because I don't expect them to be a contender. I expect them to be a good team that probably misses the playoffs or sneaks into a wild card and gets whacked in week and, you know, in wild card week. Like, that's yeah. kind of how I see it. And, and that's that's something I've tried to um, sort of impart on Fitzy, my weekend radio partner, is. He's been really negative, and everybody knows Fitzy, Nick Stevens, as a positive Patriots guy, and I'm like, does it look great? No. Has the preseason been great? No. 
but I came into the year thinking maybe they were a nine win team that wouldn't make the playoffs. Like I thought they were a middling team. So nothing's really changed for me. Like maybe yeah. some of the details have changed and how they're going to get to that middling team status. But I think some of the people were looking and a lot of fans and I don't, you should, you should, as a fan, you should want hope and growth and all that. Yeah. They were looking the for it. I mean, this is right. Right. And they were looking at a 10 win team that made the playoffs that had a rookie quarterback go to the pro bowl. And they were looking to build on that. That's where I think some of the disconnect may be coming. If you were thinking this was an 11 or a 12 win team that was going to make the playoffs and that Mac Jones was going to have a year two jump. Now I see why you're a little disappointed because it's looking less likely that that's, those are all going to come to fruition this year. And, and, and I think the big thing, and I know I'm going long here, sorry, but, um, and I think the big thing is if you think they're a borderline playoff team, well, right out the gates, you face the dolphins and the Steelers borderline playoff teams. And if you're not ready for those games, even if you're a better team, Bill keeps talking about midseason. If you're a better team come October or late October, early November, well, did I lose the Miami and the Pittsburgh game because I wasn't ready coming out of the, the preseason? And you may be kicking yourself that you lost those games against other borderline middling teams. I mean, the Dolphins are hoping to be a, a wild card team. Yeah. They, you know, you're fighting for them or the Steelers. Like Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season. So inherently the Steelers are a borderline playoff team because they don't have losing seasons, right? They don't have losing seasons. Though they but also have nuclear waste at quarterback this year. That's true, but I'm just trying to give Mike Tomlin the benefit of the doubt and say he yeah, doesn't no, lose. Absolutely. He finds a way. Absolutely. So he does. If you if if you're in the hunt with those teams for maybe that last playoff spot and you lose in September, you're gonna regret it come December. No question. Yeah, and you know what? There's probably going to be that time where in the middle of the season they, they have some they have a bit of a softer spot right there in yep. the middle where just like last year they can yep. rake some wins in and they could get six and four, seven and four, and then we can be talking about, oh yeah, look at that. The Patriots coming on like they always do. And then I'm they're gonna hit it. that last five, six game stretch of the season and we're gonna find out about you. So if if you're if you're not it, we are gonna find out. And you know what? Honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this depressing note. I'm sorry, man. But you know what? I just sat up there and thought of as as we were talking about the prospects of this team. They better not be this year's Boston Red Sox, where they made the playoffs last year and they were playing with house money because nobody expected them to be there. And then it emboldened them to do some weird stuff and not really go for it. And the next year, like, oh, yeah, we'll go for it the following year and and, and whatnot, kick the can down the road. And everybody got their hopes up thinking it was going to be something. And then it ended up being like, oh, well, we expected that it was that the that the Patriots will be like, eh, we figured it was going to be like this. We were about where we thought they were when they finished eight and nine or nine and eight and don't make the playoffs. So it's not a terrible comparison. It really isn't because they made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback last year, which isn't easy. So you're probably a little bit ahead of schedule, quote unquote, they are a little ahead of the curve. And now people are using that as like a building block where maybe organizationally they have a little bit of a bigger picture view of salary cap and draft classes and all of those things that's not a terrible comparison but it's a negative comparison because it means the team's not going to be uh not going to be all that good because the red sox are not all that good no indeed 
Well, anyway, that that's enough uh, negativity and naysaying. With some sprinklings of there's some sprinklings of good stuff up in there, you know. I mean, look, okay, what what do you want us to say? If it's bad, it's bad. We're gonna tell you it's bad, guys. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. we are we're slaves to the truth here on the first and Foxborough podcast and the Six Rings and Football Things podcast, which you should yep. also be listening to. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. I'm Kyrie Thompson. That's Andy Hart. And you will be, you better be following our coverage on WEEI.com and on the airwaves. Till next time. See you.